welcome to the Why We Argue podcast, the Future of Truth edition. This season of the podcast is produced by The Future of Truth, a project based at the University of Connecticut Humanities Institute, which explores what truth is, where it's going, and why it matters for democracy. The project is made possible by generous funding from the University of Connecticut and the Henry Luce Foundation. The podcast features discussions with publicly-minded thinkers about the cultural and political role of concepts like truth, fact, expertise, and information. Today, my guest is Melvin Rogers. Melvin is Associate Professor of Political Science at Brown University. Melvin specializes in contemporary democratic theory with special focus on the traditions of American and African-American political and moral philosophy. Now, in addition to his many professional academic publications, Melvin also regularly contributes to more public-facing venues, such as The Atlantic, Dissent, and Boston Review. You can follow Melvin on Twitter at mrogers097. That's mrogers097, all one word. Now, I invited Melvin on the program today because I wanted to talk to him about the current state of our democracy in light of the various kinds of social unrest and protest that we've witnessed in recent weeks and months and over the past couple of years. Hi, Melvin. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's so good to talk to you. Wonderful to be here. Fabulous. So, you know, um, I wanted to begin, I recently went back and, and reread something that you published in Boston Review back in May of last year. Uh, and I wanted to begin by quoting a sentence that you wrote. And the article in May is about um, Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, Matter protests uh, surrounding George, uh, the, the, the murder of George Floyd. But here's the sentence. You write, the danger is that we just don't know if the United States is convulsing because it wishes to be something new and better or is raging to remain something old and twisted. Now, when I read that a couple, reread that a couple nights ago, um, that statement seemed to me to take on a whole new significance uh, in light of the 2020 presidential election and its aftermath. So I wonder if one place we could begin our conversation is like, could, could you reflect on that a little bit? Do you, do you hear the different valence <laughs> to that kind of, of, of statement? Yes, I, I, I do. Um, and of course, it's done. Uh, I wasn't quite uh, anticipating. Uh, well, I wasn't anticipating at all that the Capitol would be that the Capitol would be stormed. Um, but 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 in fact, this is what we what we are seeing. Right. We see a nation um, that is that is struggling on the one hand to uh, articulate a coherent view of uh, democracy for all. And we see um, that same nation. Um, but another portion of it that is struggling to hold on to um, uh, uh, various forms of inequality, among which is um, uh, the sort of greatest danger to democracy, at least American democracy, white supremacy. Right. So, you know, is let me ask let me ask this slightly differently. Is there an optimistic and again cautiously optimistic thought that? Um, part of the story of the Capitol insurrection on January 6th is a, a, a is the, the sort of the, 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 the last gasps of, uh, 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 of a, a social order committed to remaining old and twisted mm -hmm. 
or is that too optimistic, do you think? Well, look, I think, you know, I think we always want to have um, uh, 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 some cautious optimism, um, particularly in, in, in the current climate in which we're in which we're sitting. So it can't, it can all be pessimism. Um, and, and so there is cautious optimism there. But of course, as we see, um, Trump uh, will not be like previous presidents, the most recent presidents, in which he would just simply sort of go quietly into the night. Um, what he has unearthed, um, what he has crystallized in his um, presidency um, continues on. And so, and it continues on right in the holes of Congress. So it's not clear to me in the final analysis um, that um, uh, that we should sit comfortably. And if you want to hold on to cautious optimism, I would lean heavily on the cautious side. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's sage advice. I think that, 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 that that's got to be true. Um, do you think uh, let me just ask one other sort of again, you know, almost maybe a kind of political science question. Um, was Trump the catalyst? When you say you know, Trump unearthed this, um, I, I, I understand the metaphor. Um, did he bring this to the surface? Was he the product of forces that um, uh, that you know, in light of certain, you know, pretty obvious demographic and sociological changes going on in the country? Were those changes the things that made Trump possible? Or was Trump actually, you know, the 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 the, the, the mover, the, the the causal agent that you think that it sort of brought this all uh, up to the surface? So I, I think maybe the the more accurate description here um, is that uh, uh, sort of uh, Trump is the expression of that which was latent, that which was was in, in some instances, in the shadows. Um, if you want another metaphor, right below uh, the surface, right? Uh, all movements, uh, uh, positive or negative, uh, often need um, leader, a leader or a set of leaders to help crystallize the expression of what that movement uh, is uh, about. And sometimes it's a momentary movement, and sometimes it's a movement that has been raging uh, um, uh, right below the surface uh, for a very long time. And Trump has come, came along and was the sort of, um, ex- sort of expressive um, uh, uh, articulation of, uh, I think, of, uh, of those, um, those sort of elements that are latent in American society. Well, can you say a little bit more about the elements? So, you know, one um, one way in which, you know, one might think about the election, the ramp up to the election, all of the awfulness that's occurred since the election. You know, one way one could think about this is to say, well, these are people uh, who, you know, are profoundly mistaken. Mm-hmm. about certain factual matters. You know, they believe that 
the election was rigged, that the voting machines were changing votes, that, uh, you know, uh, world leaders from other parts, you know, of Latin America were somehow involved in, you know, fixing the election. That's one story is that there's this um, sort of large scale and, you know, highly successful disinformation campaign that is has prompted people to go and storm the Capitol under the self-description of patriotism and 1776 and, you know, protecting democracy even. Then there's this other sort of story. So no, that's, that's just the public face. <laughs> that, that, that's the, that was the, that was the, the, um, that was the PR for what's actually being driven by, um, what I suspect you're meaning by these underlying forces, right? Demographic sociological changes happening in the country that have shifted people's expectations, especially with respect to um, uh, certain privileges and advantages that, you know, they used to not have, they used to just be able to take it, uh, take for granted. Now, all of a sudden, right, things are shifting in ways and those are the real forces. Is that what you mean? Right. I mean, I, I, I think uh, I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, we know um, that there are these demographic demographic changes um, in which um, uh, black and brown folks are assuming um, a, a primacy uh, in, in terms of I mean, numerically. Um, right. And of course, the result of that um, is the ability to sort of reshape uh, to reshape uh, political power and to reshape um, the sort of the destiny of political power. But the other aspect to this, that is to say, what is to make one inclined to be nervous about the democratic dem- demographic shifts is a set of um, uh, sort of economic and political transformations that have been going on in the United States, um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, well before the middle of the 20th century. Um, and what I have in mind here is sort of the devastation that has taken place to um, uh, uh, to the middle class, um, the ways in which uh, uh, some Americans feel um, uh, sort of alienated um, and the ways in which they feel that they actually cannot uh, provide a way for themselves. That resentment has opened up a space and when uh, uh, and they have found themselves uh basically thrown back on themselves. And when they have found themselves thrown back on themselves, what have they finally retreated to? Oh, well, it must be because the black and brown folks are coming to assume primacy. That's really why we're in this state. Um, um, And and of course, I mean, this has happened, you know, it happened uh, after Reconstruction. Um, This is sort of the standard move that takes place in um, uh, American politics and American social life particularly when, um, um, just, just to be quite honest about it, when, when white Americans feel uh, aggrieved or when they feel that they can't find an adequate job, it must be someone else that is responsible for this. Right, right. Let me ask, so just picking up on that, can I just ask, you know, again, just, I watched the, you know, I watched the events on January 6th unfold. I was in front of a television when all of this not at the beginning of what happened, but what, so as this was unfolding, and um, one of the things that, among lots of things that was shocking to me, was um, 
not only the actual impunity <laughs> with which they walked into buildings, you know, broke stuff, picked things up, went through papers, you know, sort of took selfies, but um, the um, it was sort of striking to me the 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 sense of impunity, mm-hmm. like the the attitude that well, this is what we're doing. We're, we're storming the Capitol. Yeah. Okay. You know, these cops are just going to have to go aside because we want to be, we want to be in that room. And so, you know, you're going to have to let us in. Like, did, I, it seemed to me so surreal in a way that I just have to believe, like, I, you know, maybe it's just my naivete that I just, I, I couldn't believe the, the nonchalance of it all in a certain respect. No, I, I mean, I think, you know, you know, I mean, you really said it all. I mean, um, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, the one thing I would say about this, and I, I really don't know what other commentators might uh, might think about this, but when you think about the idea of democracy um, in its classical form, democratia, rule by the people, um, that that sort of term itself does not yet have moral ballast. Right? It does not yet have direction. Historically, um, our understanding of democracy has come to accrue moral direction through the discussion of rights, through the discussion of the moral dignity of persons, the ways in which Christianity in various ways have been subsumed under uh, a broader concept of democracy. But what we saw on display on January 6th was a vision of peoplehood and and these people thinking that they're laying claim to what is rightfully theirs. Yeah. Right? And no one else's. It is right. theirs. This is our house. Um, and of course, this is this is what is, is I, I think is so um important to recognize that the people that were storming the Capitol were storming the Capitol, to be quite honest, in the name of exclusion, in the name of narrowness. That's what they were about. Of course, that's not the modern vision of democracy um, that we typically discuss and that we claim to live by. Yeah, you know, I I, I had um, a, a political theorist friend um, who hasn't yet completed these sorts of uh, the, the 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 data that that is being gathered, but um, there's some reason to think that um, Trump's rhetoric. Uh, you know, whatever one might otherwise think of it, um, you know, was very rarely about democracy. There's lots of talk about the people and the nation and the country and the who's in it and who's out it and out of it and all the rest. But um, uh, very rarely, you know, or any, you know, of the the sort of go to um, even platitudes of democracy part of his public repertoire. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> you know, is sort of puzzling about an American president, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's striking. I mean, one of the reasons why I sort of introduced this sort of historical distinction um, with respect to the development and evolution of democracy, and then the, the 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 move that I made to sort of indicate that this is a group of people who take themselves to be laying claim to what is rightfully uh, theirs. Um, what what Trump has uh, has basically said um, to them is that um, what the people think, and in and in this case, 
what white people think is what is right about uh, uh, about our society. And that that's it. Yeah. And so all of the normal um, uh, political um, and philosophical constraints, because we live some philosophy, all of us, we live some philosophy every day, but the right. philosophical constraints that are typically embedded in uh, how we get on about the business of living together, all of those uh, fall away. Um, uh, they, 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 in the face, in the face of, of, of Donald Trump and his rhetoric. Right, right, right. Um, so, you know, one, one account or narrative, uh, that has emerged, uh, about the, the events on January 6th has to do with some uh, analogy being drawn between the people who showed up on the 6th and stormed the Capitol and, you know, did violence to lots of people and killed a police officer. Um, and, um, the protests surrounding the murder of George Floyd, um, and the black lives matter, uh, movement in general. Um, can you tell me what you make of that? Uh, the, 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 the interest in seeing a, a parallel between those two, that movement and that particular event? You know, Bob, our, you know, democracy so depends on our ability to make careful distinctions. It really does. And, uh, our ability to do that has been so, um, uh, flattened because, uh, what people uh, refuse to acknowledge when they engage in this kind of equivalence is that they refuse to acknowledge the sort of, I think the sort of basic fact that one was engaged in this in the name of exclusion. The other was engaged in this in the name of inclusion and fair treatment. Those are not the same thing. They're just, they're just not. I, I mean, and that's not even to say anything about the sort of physicality of what was taking place, what was being attacked and what was not. I just want to talk about right what, what's behind it. And what's behind it, these are very different things. And we should be able to say one is legitimate and one is not. Yes. <laughs> um, but the, what do you make of the sort of prevalent, I mean, so does, does, let me put it this way, does the drive to draw that equivalence among people who want to tell an exculpatory story about January 6th, does that then suggest that maybe what we were talking about a moment ago, that there was the cover story about um, elections and voting machines and the, the fraud and all the things that, um, that, that was being explicitly said uh, by Trump and uh, his, his lawyer and lots of uh, you know, media friends and all the rest, but that was the cover for this deeper set of resentments and anxieties and grievances that really are rooted in the demographic and sociological changes that have been going on in the country. I mean, I'm just wondering now if that the tendency to draw that equivalence isn't a bit of a clue that that, that, that former story that we told has got to be right, that really it's about white supremacy, the, 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 the losing of um, 
uh, undeserved privilege that has been in place for so long that it feels like equality and justice. Does that seem right? Right. I mean, I think that the right the equivalence is an attempt to divert attention from oh. what is really going on, which is what we've outlined earlier, and to divert our attention to the thought that no, this is just simply you know what people do in a democratic society when they want to contest injustice. So, so that's the equivalence, right? They they want us to believe that both are occupying a, posi- a position of justice and are trying to speak truth to power. And, and what we're saying is that, well, no, because if we focus on what what these what both are about, we'll see that one is about exclusion, and that sends us to the analysis that we have previously laid out uh, about the demographic shifts and the like. And the other is actually. Uh, about inclusion, which is about sort of expanding the reach of uh, 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 of democratic goods to all that inhabit um, the United States. Right, right, good. Um, so, you know, a good deal of your. I want to make sure that we 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 sort of. Uh, uh, um, insofar as as you and I can sort of end on maybe a, a forward looking note we're both pragmatists right so you know uh, you know a good deal of your work both in the 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 the, the more professional academics and and the the public work um you know has to do with ways in which democracy is stalled and um uh, arrested um because we as a people uh or large segments of uh, uh, of the citizenry, sort of resolutely just refuse to confront facts about our collective history and maybe facts about ourselves. Um, so if that's also part of the story, if it's not also that there are these demographic shifts that are creating all kinds of anxieties on the part of people who are used to getting undeserved advantages, so on and so forth, but that that very fact is something that needs to be um, disguised and camouflaged and portrayed and deflected, uh, 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 you know, sort of presented in a way so attention is deflected from it. Um, if all of that sort of the, 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 the resolute sort of declining to reckon with America's history, <laughs> that's part of the story of how we're wh- where we're at and why our democracy seems to be uh, uh, you know hanging by a thread. Um, how does that? How does? How do we? Where do we go from here? I mean, how do we? How do we fix that? How do we? Um, how do we? Uh, how can we bring about the needed reckoning? Yeah, Bob. I mean, you know, look. I think that the how question is always the difficult one. Uh, right. right, is the one we always like, get stuck on because of, um, I, I think, the various approaches uh, movements have taken in the past. So my sense is that the first thing I would want to say is that we have to continue uh, both uh, uh, as academics and that bit of us that is that is sort of public facing. We have to continue to tell better stories about this tradition of American life that we live. Both that side of the tradition that is always concerned with covering its eyes, but that part of the tradition of thinkers and movements that have insisted the hallmark of a democracy is our ability to confront our failures and confront them head on. 
Um, and, 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 and that goes all the way back to, of course, um, African-American abolitionists, you see the transcendentalists, the pragmatists were insistent on this. Um, uh, in the, in the, in the 1960s, we think of, of, of Ella Baker, we think of King, we think of James Baldwin, of course. Sure. We must insist on those, on, on, on doing that. The next thing I think I would say is that we have to have a kind of truth and reckoning um, uh, a commission. Um, I hear some 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 folks talking about it these days. We need to um, have an airing out, an airing of um, what we have been um, uh, 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 complicit in internally as a nation, right? And I think finally, we need to. Um, and here now, I don't really have a clear way of how we're going to do this. And it may be attached to the first two, but we need to figure out how to detach our political and moral work from this preoccupation with with progress and with redemption. We are so fixated on progressing and redeeming ourselves that we we would lie to ourselves in the name of that redemption. Have to we have to pull these apart. We have to let this bit of the American mythos go, because if we don't let that go, we'll be inclined again and again to tell ourselves false stories about what we have achieved, and only to if only to make ourselves feel that we have redeemed uh, uh, redeemed ourselves from the sins of the past, the sins that we are currently engaged in. Oh, that's a, I mean, all that sounds exactly right to me, but it also, um, and, and, you know, uh, uh, on the one hand, d- deeply inspiring and motivating on the other hand, um, foreboding in a way, <laughs> because it's, it's a, it's a, it, the, the task before us, so to speak is, um, is, 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 is momentous and, um, it's, it's not going to be easy. Is that right? I think that's right. Um, I mean, this is why John Dewey insisted that democracy is not the easy road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Melvin, um, thank you so much, uh, uh, for talking, uh, uh, for talking to me today and, and, and being on the, uh, being my guest on the why we argue podcast. Thank you for having me on. You've been listening to the why we argue podcast, the future of truth edition. Thanks, as always, to our podcast team. Toby Napolitano of the University of California at Merced handles our sound. Elizabeth Della Zazara at the University of Connecticut Humanities Institute is our communications coordinator. And Drew Johnson handles research for us at UConn. We also want to give special thanks to Matt Gariglia uh, for his creative inspiration. Again, the podcast is produced by the University of Connecticut Humanities Institute's Future of Truth Project with generous funding from the University of Connecticut and from the Henry Luce Foundation. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.